Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, as we, as we uh, move into the sermon here, we just ask that you would speak. We thank you for the Bible. Your book that you have uh, assembled, written yourself, along with many different authors. And you've preserved it through centuries and millennia, where people have tried to ban it or burn it or just get rid of it. Of course, that never happened, God, because your kingdom will increase and fill this earth. So we just thank you for that. We thank you that you're here in this very room. We are not alone. Holy Spirit, you're right there. Help us to open our hearts up to your love this morning. Thank you, God. I got these jeans for Christmas. I think they look pretty nice. Jade likes how the way the back looks. (laughs) Just kidding. Kind of. This was the one present that I asked for that I was like really looking forward to. And um, I don't know if you you operate like me, but every year it's kind of like, oh, there's like one thing that I'm really hoping that I get or I'm excited to, you know, excited to open. And so on Christmas morning, I opened them up and, you know, tried them on and they were a little, they were a little too big. Because I just, you know, I just keep losing weight, okay? <clears throat> so I tried them on. I was kind of, my heart was just a little sunk. I was a little disappointed about it, you know. And Jade, of course, like quickly just like went online and like ordered a couple new pairs of different sizes so they'd come right in the mail. So two days later they came in and, you know, I got the right size. These ones fit really nice and I was excited again. But I remarked I, like a day or two later that uh, as I was wearing these jeans and just like, this is my one pair. My last pair was totally threadbare. I'd worn them out for a couple years. They just weren't completing my life. You know, it's kind of funny because you have this, I have this feeling in my mind or my heart that's like, even if I'm not verbalizing it, but I am going to get a level of happiness from these jeans. And maybe you do that every Christmas like me. It's like, oh, this is, I'm just going to feel some happiness when I have this. And I did feel some happiness, but it wore off really fast. You know, hopefully the jeans will last longer than that feeling. <clears throat> The question that I want to I I pose to you today as we start a new year is where do we get joy? Or maybe even more, how do we access joy? So much in our culture, so much of what we and people around us think about is how do I be happy? What is going to make me happy? If we're honest, right, with ourselves, we're often asking that same question. Where do we, where do we find joy? Now, if you've been in church for a while, you know what the Bible says, Right? It says rejoice always. We're supposed to somehow always have joy. Now, we've been communicating to you guys about the word of the Lord for 2019. In other words, what is God saying to us as a group of people? As this little church in Beverly. And here's what my sense is, and from others, just the leadership of the church. Guys, this is the word of the Lord for 2019. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again. Rejoice. This is the challenge that God is putting before us in 2019. 
It is regardless of what our circumstances are in life. Regardless of the difficulties that are around us, the challenges that we face, right? In holding a child in our lap during the sermon, right? Maybe you struggle with insomnia at night. You have a difficult work situation with a boss that is overbearing. Whatever the circumstances are of your world, the challenge of God for us as a people, and of course for believers everywhere of all time, but specifically for us in this season, is God wants us to learn this year how to rejoice always. And that requires a, a, a battle, a strategic battle against two things. The first is a spirit of complaining. And the second is one of negativity. Because let me tell you, both of those things are an assault against the character of God. When we complain, it says, God, you are not good and you're not good to me. And when we give in to negativity, it says, God, you don't have power. This situation is impossible, and life is hopeless. Now, even if we are not verbalizing those things, that is what's happening in the environment around us. And so, guys, I just want you to know personally, I am declaring an all-out war against complaining and negativity in 2019. And I am asking you to, to take up that challenge with me. Because here's my sense. This is the starting line for us with breakthrough as a people. This is the beginning line. It's learning how to rejoice always. And our rejoicing is in the Lord. We're going to learn how we can celebrate in every situation, in every circumstance. Because we find God is our real joy. Now, next year is... It's 2020. Hmm, I wonder what the prophetic word could be for 2020. It's, it's vision. It is all over vision, right? It's clarity of vision. And here's my sense, guys. If we can jump into this message from, that we sense is from God, and obviously it's in the Bible, so we know even if it's not, we're doing the right thing, okay? I sense that God wants to give us next year clarity about what's going on around us, clarity for our mission in this area. Right, just seeing things more clearly than we ever have before about how more and more people can come to know Jesus, about how we can be on mission with him, about how we can reach New Englanders, you know? And I also sense there's going to be a breakout and just more and more of seeing the ministry of Jesus in our midst, which everywhere Jesus went, people started getting healed. They started getting saved. They started even getting delivered of demons, right? It's just in the Bible, not being all that weird, except for the fact that the Bible is kind of weird. Okay, so that's my challenge to you is this year. Now, here's the other thing is I felt like the Lord told me, Brian, I want you to keep preaching this until I tell you to stop. So you're going to hear a lot about joy and rejoicing in the midst of your circumstances. I have another sense that I want to share. I don't think this year is going to be easier than other years. I actually think it might be harder. And I'm not trying to prophesy doom. But what I am trying to say is that <clears throat> I do not think that the enemy wants us to get this down. And so he is going to, he is, he, I, I just sense there's going to be 
some kind of pushback as we say, regardless of my circumstances, I am going to find my joy in the Lord. I am going to rejoice in Him always. So I'm, not, I'm asking you to take up this challenge, but I'm, I'm asking you to be sober-minded about this. This is not an easy challenge. But if we can get this down, the Lord is going to take us to a new level. And I also, you know, I feel like I've heard words like this, you know, God's promising things. No, I'm just saying right now in faith, God will do this if we, if we respond this year of 2019. He's going to bring us to a new place. All right, is there an amen? So let's jump in. We don't know when this is going to end, do we? So exciting. So we're going to start to answer this question about joy. How do we get to joy by jumping into the book of Philippians, which, as many of you know, is, is, a, is a ton about joy. Let me give you a little background about this book. This is Paul, Apostle Paul or St. Paul. He's writing, most likely, in a Roman prison. I want you to sit on that for a minute. The, the, the context of this book is he is writing in prison. And he's uncertain, as you'll even hear today, if he's going to be executed or not. That's his circumstance. He's writing to this, this, group, of, this group of churches, probably house churches in Philippi. It's in northeastern Greece. You know, not on that down, hangy part, but kind of up on the right. You know what I mean? Okay, whatever. You can see a map in your head. That's what he's writing to these churches. And the real theme of the book is actually what we read this morning in the call to worship, which is that kind of hymn about the attitude of Jesus, right? what he did in his work in humbling himself, serving others. And so the whole book is kind of centered around that grand hymn of Jesus. That's what the book is about. And so Paul is challenging these guys to live the life of Jesus. And one thread, okay, we can't in four weeks tackle every piece of this book, but the thread that we're tracing through that reflects the attitude of Jesus is a spirit of rejoicing, which you're going to hear over and over again, even in Paul's tone as he's writing this letter. So if you've got a Bible, grab it. We're going to read through this whole chapter, and uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to do a chapter a week here, okay? We're asking the question today, where do we find joy, or how do we rejoice always? All right, goodbye, bookmark. All right, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to make one comment on this greeting that Paul gives. And that is this. That last little line, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if he's saying, hey, I was talking to God, and he said, he wanted me to tell you, hey, grace and peace to you. That's what he's saying. He's saying grace and peace to you from God. I've been talking to God. I've actually been writing some scripture. Probably didn't know that at the time, right? 
And he wanted me to tell you grace and peace. Meaning, right, unmerited favor of God. Power to obey. Peace in your heart and in the world around you. God's sending you grace and peace. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Just trying to emphasize, you catch that. It's gonna be, you're going to hear it lots and lots, okay? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And when Paul speaks of partnership here, he's most likely talking about financial support. And some people consider the letter of Philippians kind of like a support letter that a missionary might write or a thank you note. He's saying, hey guys, thank you so much for supporting me. I want to give you an update on what's going on and then just going to give you some encouragement. A lot of people view the letter of Philippians in that way. So that's what he's doing in his purpose for writing, right? And And what stands out in this passage is what he says, he is confident that God who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion. Now, how can he say that? How does he not know that maybe some people are going to fall away or they're going to leave the church or there's going to be all kinds of quarrel or people will, you know, fall back into sin patterns of their lives? He doesn't know if any or all of those things are going to happen, but this is what he does know. He is confident in the goodness of God to the Philippians. And guys, that is a step to, to, to jump into joy. It's to be confident in the goodness of God to you. Right? If complaining and negativity are doubting the goodness and the power of God, right, then it's a confident heart that says, I am God, I am confident in your goodness. Paul has somehow grounded himself that he is so confident that he can say with confidence, God began a work in you, Man, he is going to complete it. You know how I know that? Because I know the character of God. I know his commitment to you guys. This little church in Philippi, it was probably this nothing little deal, right? But God, he knew, was with them. And he knew the goodness of God in his heart. And it causes him to rejoice. He's thanking them for what they're doing. And you can feel his tone. It's one of rejoicing. He's a confidence in the goodness of God. I went for a walk last night with, with my son, my eldest son, Sam. I had gone to the grocery store earlier that day with, with Alma because she had woken up early from a nap. It was a mess. I was like, let's go get some bananas because she loves bananas. Forgot to get milk. Didn't realize we needed more milk. So I was like, Sam, it's raining out. Let's go for a little adventure. We'll walk down to the family dollar. We'll get some milk. We need some eggs. So it was dark at that point. It was probably 6, maybe 5.30 or 6. And, you know, we're walking down. And I kind of wanted him to hold my hand because it was, you know, It's a pretty busy street that we live on. The cars are going like, you know, 30, 40 miles an hour. Dark, raining. It's hard to see people. We're on the sidewalk. And Sam is just having a blast. I mean, he's just, to to him, this is is a real adventure, right? We're walking along. We get close to the train tracks. We're going to cross the tracks. And this car drives up and just hits this huge puddle. And just, I mean, just soaks me, you know. Boom, I'm soaked. And I'm just like, well, you know. and And he just thought it was the funniest thing. He loved it. The whole time, you know, I was somewhat concerned for his safety. I'm looking out for him. He wasn't holding my hand, so I'm trying to keep him on, you know, my inside and the road's over here. He had not one doubt in his mind that he was safe with dad. He was 100% confident all the way there, all the way back. 
just enjoying the walk. Joy. Did you hear the word again? Right? When we have confidence in the character of God, His goodness to us, there's, there's just an overflow of joy. Right, guys, joy springs out of surrender to Jesus. And first we see in this passage, it's a surrender, a faith, a trust in the goodness of God. We just say, God, the circumstances of my life have been hard, but I just surrender that to you, and I put my trust in you. I put my trust in your goodness. I trust what the Bible says when it says over and over again, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Paul has somehow discovered that little secret of the goodness of God and his confidence is just leading him to a life of joy. Even though he is in prison waiting to possibly be executed. Come on! Are your circumstances harder than that? Maybe. Right? Maybe. Okay? Paul goes on in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Both saying, hey, you share in this ministry because of your financial support, but also just, you're just, we're all in this together, sharing God's grace, His love and favor for us. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Joy springs out of surrender to Jesus. Now in this section, we hear Paul's heart for them. Right? This joy and love that he has because of the surrender that he has in his heart to Jesus. It's this automatic thing where when we surrender to God's love, when we let go of blaming God or being mad at Him or trying to just earn our way up the ladder in God's eyes, the natural outflow of that is love. We hear Paul just pouring it out with them. I just, man, the way that he's describing them. I want to feel that for other people. I want them to have that for me and our body here. And in that last prayer, in verses 9 through 11, just as a little side note, his prayer is what the rest of the letter is hoping they're going to also get. He's praying for them that they will reflect the lifestyle of Jesus, and specifically one of rejoicing. And then he's going to tease that out and hit them in their head. He's praying this for them in this verse, that they will be filled with love, knowledge, and insight, even as they read this letter, so that they will be able to discern what's best, make good choices in their lives, Okay? And filled with holiness, fruit of righteousness, that they'll live the same life as Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago, before Christmas, my wife took uh, our eldest son, again, Sam, to the Nutcracker in Boston at the Boston Opera House, Boston Ballet. And uh, she just had the idea because we had bought some CDs at a library sale in Ipswich and we had been listening to the Nutcracker and she just thought it would be really fun for Sam to do. And so they, you know, they drove down on a Sunday afternoon down to the city and, 
It was really geared towards kind of, you know, kids. They, they, they each got these little crowns they're wearing on their head. And, you know, just the music is, is just so powerful. And so Sam had a blast. And he, and he was pretty much engaged. The whole, I mean, if you, know, if you know the Nutcracker, okay, if you've seen it before, I'm pointing at my friend. We went to a number of those together. <laughs> uh, it's a long ballet, right? But Sam made it almost to the end. Right at, towards the end, he was kind of like, okay, I think I'm ready to go home. But I just want to say, he came home from that. I was at home with the other two, and he just was beaming. You know, just beaming. Just so, like, such a special time with mom. You know, that one-on-one time. Such a special event that mom had planned for him. They got to drive into the city. You know, we always try to make Boston a big deal. So we don't go there very much. (laughs) Isn't it the same for us that love flows from love? When we have surrendered to Jesus, we are surrendering to the person who is love. We cannot help but pour that out to other people. But as Sam is receiving that love from mom in that special event, he can't help but come home and it's just flowing out of him, the joy and the love that he received. It's impossible to hold that in. Guys, joy springs out of surrender to Jesus. He's the source of it. All right, let's keep going. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. In other words, he's been arrested because of his faith and his active preaching about Jesus. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Isn't that amazing? You'd think it would be the opposite. That they'd get scared because Paul's in prison, but they've been emboldened. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. There it is again. He's in prison. Apparently some people are like trying to rival him or stir up some trouble for him while he's in jail. Man, if you couldn't make it hard enough. And yet, in the circumstances, Paul is finding things to be thankful for. He's finding ways to rejoice because ultimately he knows, right, his joy is found in Jesus. And nothing is going to stop the spread of the God's kingdom, the preaching of the gospel. Nothing. Even when people are trying to make it difficult, they're just making it, they're just making it better for the kingdom. And the same thing in that previous passage, right? You'd think if he was in prison, people would start to get scared, but instead he's saying, no, they're all the more bold. Joy springs out of surrender to Jesus. Because Jesus is the source of joy. All right, let's read the heart of this this first chapter. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And uh, people debate about which imprisonment this was. I, have, I don't know. I'm not a scholar. My best guess is I think that he actually was released from this imprisonment and then was later imprisoned again and then executed. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have suffered, sorry, sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, whether they kill me or let me go. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart, to die, and to be with Christ, to see Him face to face fully, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again and your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Again, he's boasting in Christ Jesus. You You could say that that's rejoicing too. Paul's living a surrendered life. He says, for me to live is Christ. My whole life is is wound up in this crazy thing about this Jesus of Nazareth guy that, you know, lived this life and healed all these people and then was put to death by wicked men and then some were claiming that he was risen from the dead. And then Paul went on to persecute all those people and kill as many of them as he could and throw them all in jail. And then the Lord Jesus himself appeared to him. And radically altered his life. And from that point on, his life was different. He was born again. He was dead to an old way of life. And he was living in a new way of life. He was baptized, right? He was laid down in the grave, so to speak, and raised up to a new life with Jesus. And he's living a life that is surrendered. And ultimately surrendered to not just the mission of God, guys. Don't miss this. To the love of God. Everything that he is doing is flowing out of a centered place where Paul has surrendered to the person of Jesus, to a relationship with Jesus. I mean, over and over again in his letters, he's talking about love. He wrote us that, that great wedding passage, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Da-da-da, right? In Ephesians chapter 3, oh, the depth, right? Uh, all that I, you know, we would know the, the height, the depth, the, the length, the breadth. He uses four dimensions, which isn't real, right? I mean, maybe it is with time, space, continuum. I don't know, right? But oh, that we would know the love of God. Everything for him is coming from this place of he is surrendered to God's love. And out of that springs love, joy, and a commitment to the mission of God. And that his life is radically transformed. Guys, if we want joy, we can't go looking for joy, as Tim Keller says. You cannot find joy by looking for it. You have to look for Jesus. There's no other way to get it. And let's just talk about that word happy for a moment. Well, let me tell you one thing. Grumpy is not the kingdom of God. That is sin. And I often repent. I'll never forget a sermon from Tim Keller that I listened to on Psalm 1, right? Blessed is he who does not sit in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted near streams of water, whose leaf does not wither, bears his fruit in season, etc., And he defines that word blessed like this. Fundamentally and consistently happy. Fundamentally and consistently happy. Now I'm saying Tim Keller because you probably wouldn't believe this if I said it. That is the kingdom of God, guys. That's not saying we don't mourn with those who mourn. That's not saying that Jesus even himself was a man that said is of sorrow. He's acquainted with sorrow. But his consistent attitude, Jesus lived a life of joy. Can we just say that? He wasn't walking around moping or just pointing people's sin out 
or just always grumpy on people because they're always letting them down. No way. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. If anyone had the fruit of the Spirit, it was Jesus. We are called to a life of rejoicing, and we can access it through surrender. When we surrender to the love of God, when we stop fighting against God because of our circumstances, mad at Him for what He has done, it might not have even been Him. When we stop trying to earn things with Him and stop trying to improve ourselves to the point where, you know, maybe God will be happy with me. Okay? I'm preaching to myself here, just in case you're wondering. We just, send her, we just surrender to God's love. God accepts me as I am. I am fully loved. Jesus is not ashamed to call me a brother. Not ashamed to call you a sister. That is the source of joy, and that's the only way that we are going to be able to be a people of rejoicing in the midst of difficult circumstances. Guys, Christians always have a reason to celebrate. Do you realize that for, for many religions, they don't do this whole music thing. I've been to a certain services in a mosque. It's not a celebration as far as from what I could see. We are celebrating. We call this a celebration service because we have so much to celebrate. Did you see my star jump? Come on. The gospel is the best news ever heard. And no one can take away what Jesus wants to give us. What does he say in John 15? I've said these things to you so that my joy, which must have been a pretty high level, may be in you and your joy may be complete. Wow! I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you. My joy, the joy of heaven, the joy of the member of the Godhead, that that joy would be in you and it would be complete. What things did he say? I'm glad you asked. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to what he said right before this. One of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. There's no level B love in the kingdom of God. The love that the Father has for Jesus. Can you imagine how awesome that love is? How great Jesus was in every way? How, how happy God must have been, how proud He was of Jesus? The affection that he had for him is perfect. Always loving. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Believing that, surrendering to that level of love, that God would love you as much as he loves Jesus, that will give you some joy. Joy springs out of surrender to Jesus. And it's not the surrender of, I wave a white flag, I've been defeated in battle, now you're going to enslave me. No. It's a surrender of, I'm opening up to God's love. I'm receiving the truth that I am a child of God. 
fully loved, fully accepted, despite all of my junk, despite all the ways I've let him down, despite all the ways I've tried to earn things and can't, despite all the ways I've tried to change myself and I can't even change myself, despite all the times I've yelled at you, God, or been mad at you or blamed you for things, you know what? I'm just going to pause and surrender and receive the love that he has for me. Stop beating yourself up. You have to stop hating on yourself. That is the devil. That is not God. It's not humility. And it's not accomplishing anything good. Guys, receive his love. Surrender to his love. He loves you. Surrender to Jesus. He wants to fill your life with joy. He wants to give you a reason to rejoice all the time. In every circumstance. It comes when we surrender to Jesus. Okay, it's time to wrap it up. So I got into birds a little while ago, as you know, because I've talked about it so much. Right? I don't have all that many hobbies, so I've, there's only so many things if I'm going to give some illustrations. Right? You want illustrations, right? You don't want to just talk about abstract things all the time. And so yesterday, Alma was playing in our living room, and there's these little built-in cabinets kind of under these pillars that kind of separate the dining room. It's like a half wall. I don't know what the architectural term is. And she was playing in one of those cabinets. We have all our bird books in there and the binoculars. And she just was kind of pulling them out and bringing them over to me on the couch, and she would look at one picture and then shut it and go back and get another one. Yeah, that's kind of what a one-and-a-half-year-old does. And I just was kind of remarking on, like, I didn't buy a single one of those books. Not one of those books that I go out and purchase for myself. You know who bought those for me? My wife. And people in my family probably for gifts, for presents and things. Why? Because when we are about something, right, others want to join in that with us. And so Jade's making that about Right? She's, she's taking that into her life. She's like, okay, I probably shouldn't have much affection for birds. But because I do and she loves me, she's about that. What am I trying to, what's the point I'm trying to make? Well, this is what Paul has done. Right? He probably wasn't super excited to get shipwrecked three times or like get bitten by a snake or like go preach the gospel and people start throwing stones at him and drag him out of the city. You know, all these crazy things that Jesus was, was wanting him to do or leading him to do or go preach the gospel and travel all over. Maybe he wanted to settle down and have a family and a nice career. But when he surrendered to love, he made his life about what Jesus' life was about. His life started to mirror the life of Jesus. And wouldn't you know, people start getting healed and he gets bit by a snake and just throws it into the fire, right? This is what the letter of Philippians is about, is us having the life of Jesus, about what his life looked like, our lives start to look like. Wouldn't that be a beautiful life? Yeah, there's no other more beautiful life. And guys, the way we enter into the way of Jesus is it's through surrender. It's not through trying harder, and I'm reading my Bible every day. That's a good thing. It's not through, it's not going to happen when we're mad at God. We have to open up and surrender to the love of God. That is going to lead to rejoicing because joy springs out of a surrender to Jesus. And hey, let's just get visionary for a second. 
Guys, I'm just saying again, if we all start to do this, if this year becomes a year of surrendering to Jesus, opening up to his love so that we can rejoice in every circumstance, that we're lifting our eyes above our circumstances, we're warring against complaining and negativity, we're saying, oh, but, but I have Jesus. Oh, but I have Jesus. Oh, but I have a reason to rejoice because Jesus, I have you, and I am receiving your love. We are going to live more and more the way of Jesus. We're going to start doing the things that Jesus did more and more in our lives. I think that's a good word for 2019. Let's have the band come back up. Hey, so what I want you to do today is, um, as we respond, what is the one thing that God is asking you? What is the one way that he's asking you to surrender to him today? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's as simple as just opening your heart up to receiving the love that he's got for you. But we're going to pause for just a moment, and then we're going we're to take communion. Okay, together. So we're going to give you about one minute, and then we'll take communion. Now, I'll give you the directions now, so it's not, you know, another awkward transition. Come down these center aisles. Take the cracker. Everything is gluten-free. You can dip it in the juice, and then take it whenever you are ready. And this, again is a way that we surrender to Jesus. We are saying, as we eat this, we're saying, Jesus, I have put my faith in you. I receive forgiveness for all of my sins. And I receive your loving sacrifice and now your power to live a new life. Not by my own work, but by your work, by your victory. That's what this is about. The sacrifice of Jesus leading us into new life and forgiveness of sin. Ah, this is a reason to rejoice. So Lord, speak to us right now. We all want to surrender to you. We want your joy, but even more, we just, we just want you, Jesus. We want more of your life in us this year. So come, Holy Spirit, show us, hey, God, is there one thing you're asking me right now? I just got to let that go. Thank you, Lord.